0: Thank you, Kendall. We're talking this morning about the Easter story. We're talking about how Easter changes everything. Easter changes everything. And by Easter changing everything, I don't mean just the trappings of Easter. I don't mean getting dressed up and making a ham and all that. But you all do look good, so <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, but it's funny, this week, Jesse and I, we're out uh, talking to people, met, met a few people, and we met, we, were, we asked a few people the question, um, what's your favorite Easter memory? And the best story was this guy named Joey, who grew up in Missouri. And when Joey was five years old, it was Easter morning, and his brother was 11, and it sounded like maybe they had a cousin or two at the house too, and they, his mom got him up early and got him all dressed for Easter. They were gonna go to church, because it was Easter. And so they put five-year-old Joey in his powder blue suit, and they all got dressed up. And they, got, they actually were ahead of schedule, unlike my family this morning. They were, they were doing good, so they had a little time. So Joey and his brother and any other kids that were with him went outside, and there was a creek near their house in Missouri. And Joey and his brother went down by the creek, and you know where this story's going. Because <laughs> it was a little muddy, and five-year-old Joey slipped. And just created a mudslide right into the water. And before you knew it, all the kids were in the water. (laughs) Splashing and getting wet and muddy. Until their mom came and found him. And she didn't sound very Easter happy at that moment. (laughs) She was cussing. She was yelling at him. They got a picture, but they did not make it to church that day. (laughs) Easter, Easter changes everything, but it's not the... It's not the outward trappings that change everything. And so often we we tend to we tend to put our hope in the wrong thing. We, we can think that something else will change everything. I a lot of people, it's, it's easy to think that man, if I just meet the right somebody and if I get married to the right somebody, that's going to change everything. And you know that would be a good thing. But you'll find out when you get married that you're still the same person. Like, it's, it starts to change you, but you're like, you're still you. And, you know, they're still them, and there are things about them you didn't even know about them until you got married. And getting married just, like, brought it out. They weren't hiding anymore in the dating life. Um, having a child, I mean, that was a thing that probably, that's, that almost changes everything. I remember having my first child. That seems like that changes everything, but it doesn't. It's still, like, it more, like, reveals what's inside you. We may we look to other. We may think that like man, if I move to another city, it's a fresh start, and that will change everything. But same thing, you get there, and it's still you. You change the location, but what's internal has not changed. We may look to alcohol or, or drugs and think, yeah, that's man, that that changes things. But the reality is, it only like it only highlights. The, bad, the stuff in us that's not good, and it only brings us more under control of powers that aren't good. There are so many things that promise to change everything, but the thing that changes everything is Jesus. And his life and death and resurrection is what changes everything. For us who believe, it changes us on the inside, and it begins the process. It began the process 2,000 years ago of changing the world when Jesus rose from the dead. But what's wild is that although Easter and what Jesus, who he is, and what he did changes everything, when the first people who knew him encountered him when he was risen, they, they weren't fully aware of what was going on. I, I like the stories in the Bible of people encountering Jesus all through his life, and especially these stories when he's resurrected, because they're, they're like me and you. They're, like, they're not just one or two steps behind. They're about 100 steps behind, what's going on. Because that's how we are too. And before Easter changes stuff for us, before Jesus changes our life, Easter is disorienting. Easter is discombobulating. It's like, what is going on? We all kind of have the same feeling that Brendan had when he was talking about the upcoming events and he had his Easter moment up here. Like, wait a minute, what's, what's going on? Like, when we, and I just have fun with Brendan, because I don't know, he's like my brother. I, I like, for some reason, it's easier for me to tease Brendan than almost anybody else, so take that as a sign of endearment. <laughs> but, you know, this was Easter, the resurrection of Jesus was the best news ever, and Jesus had told his disciples that he was going to do it, but when it happened, they didn't even recognize him. And a lot of times, things can be like that for us when it comes to the things of God. We talked to another person this week who, who grew up hearing about the story of Jesus, and then, but recently he's been taking an anthropology class across the street at K-State, and he said, it's just like I'm trying to like make these things fit together, and it just seems like what I'm hearing in class about evolution and people and culture, it just it doesn't seem to fit. I'm trying to find a way to make it fit. A lot of times the things of God are like that. When you hear about the resurrection, it's just like, is that really true? Is, did God really become a person? Is it possible for a person to be reconciled to God? Oh, I, I thought I, I don't feel that. Um, the things of God can seem, they, they're disorienting. They don't seem real at first. The, there's a term for that. It's called cognitive dissonance. You may have heard that. Cognitive dissonance is the mental conflict that occurs when beliefs or assumptions are contradicted by new information. So we all have our paradigms, we all have our mental constructs of what seems true to us, and then we encounter something that doesn't fit that mental construct, and, like, our brains don't compute. We, 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 it, we, it we, have, we have cognitive dissonance. These things don't fit together, and that creates mental and emotional stress it's not fun to have cognitive dissonance and a lot of time, there are ways people cope with that you can cope by just avoidance and denial and just like oh, i don't want to think about that. that that's that's too difficult or too weird i'm, I'm just going to avoid it or i'm going to deny it like yeah i saw this I, I i saw jesus there was one of the disciples thomas like he saw jesus he he, he heard about the other disciples actually encountering Jesus, and he said, that, that doesn't make sense. I've got this cognitive dissonance about that. Um, we, it's disorienting. And so, if you haven't experienced that, then you probably haven't really dealt honestly with Jesus, because he's disorienting. Like, you can't encounter Jesus and just go about your merry little life. He has a way of just <laughs> pulling the rug out from under your life, and make you go, I don't know which ends up. And sweet, nice Jesus, yes, that's what he does. I know, that's not, it's not what the pictures show all the time. But Jesus, he disorients things because he wants to bring us into this new life. He wants to change everything for the better for us. Um, but we see this in, in this story. We see this with Mary and, and the disciples, the other disciples. Um, and so when that happens... We have a choice. We can, we can give up. We can just not think about it and stay where we're at or stay where our culture is. Or we can investigate and try to find out more. Proverbs 25.2 says it's the glory of God to conceal a thing. It's the glory of kings to search things out. When we experience this disorientation, it's actually an invitation to say, will you search this out? Will you have the heart of a king, of a noble person, to say, maybe there's more here, and I'm going to search it out. You know, everyone I know that's had a, a, maybe not everyone I know, but many of the stories I know of people who've had their, who've really encountered God in a life-changing way, it's because they came to a place and said, you know what? What I got is not cutting it. What I got is not the life that I hear about from others and that I hear about in the scripture. There's a difference here between what I'm experiencing and what God has for me. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not content with that. I'm, I'm, I'm really frustrated, actually, with life. As is what a friend of mine, mine says. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated about that. And I'm going to, like, dig and search and... and hang in there and draw near to God until I find the answer. And that's 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 what we see actually Mary and John and these disciples like they had cognitive dissonance, it was disorienting, but they were in the right place. They hung out together and they they hung out. They they hung in there long enough to have Easter change everything for them. So Easter's disorienting, but if we hang in there then Easter And Jesus invites a faith response from us. Easter changes everything, but it doesn't change everything until you believe in who Jesus is and what he's done. And we see that um, in in the the story, the account that Kendall read in in verse 8, talking about the other disciple, which is codenamed for the author of this gospel, it's John. He reveals himself a little bit later in the book. It says, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, And he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. So he was disoriented, he was discombobulated, but he pre-investigated the evidence of Jesus' resurrection. And he got close, and when he saw the stone rolled away, and he saw the grave clothes there without a body, And they were folded up, for crying out loud. Maybe he's like, I recognize. That's how Jesus used to fold his blankets. I don't know. But something like, something brought him to the point where he's like, Jesus rose from the dead. John came to the point. He saw and believed there was a point of faith. And the same thing is true for us. We've got to come to the point of will we see and put our faith in who Jesus is and what he's done. I like how it's, It says he saw, but as yet they did not understand. Because a lot of times we think, well, if I just can fully understand everything, if I can get every one of my questions answered, then I'll believe. But it doesn't quite work like that. It's not that God doesn't give us evidence. He gives everyone enough evidence. The Bible says God's given everyone a measure of faith, a portion of faith. But that portion of faith is enough to take a step towards him and say, I believe that you are God. I believe that you're the Savior. I believe that you rose from the dead. But that's not going to answer every question. But we think that if we understand, then later we will believe. But it works the other way. Actually, we, we, we get enough evidence, and then if we believe what God's given us, then understanding follows later. It's believe, understand, not understand, believe. So that's what happened with John. Um, we see this with Mary, too. I, just, I love the encounter with, with Jesus and Mary. And, you know, he, he said to her, he said her name, Mary. We'll get to that more in a little bit. But then she turned to him and said, Rabboni, which was the, the in her heart language, Aramaic, it was the word for teacher, for my leader you are the Lord. She recognized him, and there was a response of faith in her heart to say, yes, you are the master, you are the Lord. In Romans 10, 9, and 10, we're told that, starting um, in verse, sorry, verse 8, actually, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. The word, we're talking, that, that what you need, the message about Jesus, is, it's not a zillion miles away. Actually, we're all in this room, We all heard this story, the word is near us. We've heard this story, the word is near us. It's in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if, this is that faith response we're talking about, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you speak with your mouth, Jesus is my Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the faith response. That's the if. That's the, the lever, the, the fulcrum that brings us from one place to the other. If there's a response of faith. And that's when we first enter the kingdom. We say yes to Jesus. I believe you are Lord. And I believe you died from the, the dead. You rose from the dead. And then that's the way we keep living this sucker too. Living with a faith response toward Jesus. Faith involves believing who Jesus is. It believes it's what he has done. And it also involves our loyalty. Faith is not just like, yeah, in my mind, I believe that you died from the dead. But it's a believing loyalty that, like if you're faithful to your spouse, it's a loyalty to him. Because you are the Lord, because you rose from the dead, you will be my king. And I'm going to follow you from here on out. So Easter invites a faith response. The next thing I just love in this story, so good, Easter reconciles us to God. Easter reconciles us to God. So, that, you know, the story of Mary goes into the tomb, and there's no body there, and she's disoriented. She's crying. She's, the one she loved has been murdered, been crucified, and then she's still hanging in there. She's still, like, wanting to honor him and, and. Honor his 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 body even with with the burial process and ritual and these expensive spices and fragrances, but she gets there and he's not there. But then she sees the angels. It's very you know it's like wow she has this conversation with the angels and she's still crying. Then she turns around and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. And you know some of that was probably his, his. there's probably a difference in the appearance of his body um, after the resurrection in his glorified body. But I think much of it had to do with the cognitive dissonance going on because she knew he was dead. And so even though, you know, I, I, have you ever seen someone that would, like, you thought was in another state and then you saw them and it like, took you a while to recognize them because they, just, they, weren't, you, they couldn't be there? That's, that's how it was with Mary. Like It took her a minute. And so then, But then when he says her name, Mary. She knew that voice, and it's I, and then you know, then the she grabs a hold of him and hugs him, and the relationship is is where it never was before. And really, this is parallel. It's it's in a garden, and it's with a man that she thinks is a gardener. It's really taking us back to the first garden. It's taking us back to the Garden of Eve, Garden of Eden, sorry, which was the Garden of Eve, and Adam. <laughs> But we were told when God first made the, the earth that God would walk in the garden with the man and the woman in the cool of the day. And they had fellowship. They had friendship. There was no hindrance in their relationship. Think about the closest you've ever felt to another person. And then blow that up by a million. That was what they experienced with God every day. And with one another, too. Um, there was fellowship with God. And, but then they disobeyed him. And they didn't trust him. And they, they disobeyed the command he had given them. And when that happened, shame entered their heart. And they felt their brokenness. And they hid. They're in the garden, but they're, they're hiding behind trees and bushes. And making coverings for their bodies out of leaves. And it's interesting, it says that God God came to them. God searched for them and said, Adam, where are you? God was was still pursuing a relationship with them. But sin had devastated that relationship. And Adam said, hey, I, I hid. Eventually, he said, "Okay, I'm here, I'm here. But I hid from you because I felt ashamed. And ever since then, every human being all throughout history has felt that separation between God. But here, in the resurrection, in the tomb, in the garden, this picture that Jesus has destroyed the barrier and brought us back into relationship with him, for those of us who have a faith response to him. He's brought us back into a place of unhindered relationship with him. We see that then in the interaction with, with the other disciples, too. Um, he, well in verse, actually let's look at verse 17 Um, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God the relationship is brought back together it's not just my Father but it's your father now. It's not just my God, but it's your God. That relationship is brought back through, through what I just did. And then, so she goes and talks to the, the other disciples. And then, then, a little bit later, in verse 19, Jesus came himself and stood among them, stood among them. No, no barrier, no separation, no distance. He stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hand and his sides. He was right there, up close and personal. And then it goes on, and it says, and he breathed on them. And that's pretty up close and personal. Alright? If I was to come up to Malik and just breathe on him, I'm not going to do it. Don't trust my breath that much. But Jesus, man, he, he had good breath, I'm sure. So, this is the glorified, resurrected body. He, he breathed on him. He breathed on them. And said, receive the Holy Spirit. The very... Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, now, was not only someone to be worshipped, not only someone who would occasionally come upon someone and give them power, but now, because of what Jesus had done with his death and resurrection, the third person of the Trinity came inside of his disciples, up close and personal. The relationship was completely restored to the way that God intended it to be. Easter reconciles us to God. That's so good. So Easter is disorienting. It invites a faith response. It reconciles us to God. And then also, this is is just as crazy. Easter includes us in in the narrative. It includes us in the mission. It includes us in the story. It restores people back to their purpose that they had in the garden to be God's image bearers and extend his kingdom in all the world. And so when Jesus appears to Mary, he's, he's like, hey, first one, I mean, this is radical. This is one of the greatest evidences of the, rev- of the resurrection, actually, is that the first witness of the resurrection was a woman. And if people were making this up, starting a religion in a culture that did not even give women, like, their, wit, their, their testimony in a court of law did not hold value. Like, they were not considered trustworthy witnesses. But the one Jesus chose, first one, was Mary Magdalene. And he's like, hey, here I am. It's me. Now you go. Tell the other brothers what I've, what I've done. Tell them I'm back. Tell them you've seen me. All right? He commissions her. She's the first missionary She's the first witness. She's the first one part of this apostolic mission to go and tell the story that Jesus has risen from the dead and new creation has come into the world. And so he commissions her. And then he does the same thing when he shows it to the disciples. He, He commissions them, like, immediately. It's like first conversation isn't like, he doesn't wait for three years of seminary or something. But first conversation he said, hey, I'm back. I breathed on them, receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, <clears throat> verse uh, verse 21. He says, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Wow. I'm, I've, you, you've seen me, you believe me, now I'm sending you. To encounter Jesus is to be sent by him, to join in the narrative. If we believe in Jesus, the same mission is ours, the same narrative is ours, to go. Like, who can I tell this to? Who can I bring new creation to? I've been commissioned to bring this. The next sentence is, it would have been easier if I just, like, left this one out, because it's, like, one of those difficult verses in the Bible. But those are some of my favorites, actually. That's usually where you, if you dig a little bit, like Proverbs, the, the, the glory of kings is to search it out. Jesus said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it's withheld. So not only were they commissioned to tell the story of Jesus, but he said, hey, my very forgiveness, the forgiveness of people's sins, you have an integral part to play in that happening. If you forgive people, they'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive people, they won't be forgiven. What does that all mean? I'm not totally sure, actually. The Catholics, they took this and they said, well, this must just be for the priest. Because that's, like, too radical to say that, like, every believer would be given this authority. So we'll have a priestly class, and the Orthodox, and they'll be the ones, like, they have the special level of training, and they're verified as having a different level of holiness. And so people can confess their sins to them, and then they'll be forgiven. But I believe this is, all of this is not just for the priest, but it's for the, the disciples, Is for the followers of Jesus, that we're to receive the Spirit, we're to be sent out, and we're to be a part of God extending his forgiveness to others. And this is consistent. All through the New Testament, it's, hey, confess your sins one to another, and you will be healed. There's somehow, if those of us who are believers in Jesus, it's very unlikely that that happened without another person bringing the message of the gospel to you and helping lead you to the place of praying for your sins to be forgiven and encountering Jesus. That is because it's all like part of this. Jesus comes, but then he comes inside his people. And he commissions us to bring this message and to bring the extension of forgiveness of sins to the people around us. Easter includes us in the mission. All right, it's good stuff. I'm ready to go, not just to potluck lunch. I'm ready for that, but excited about this mission. Easter changes everything, and and it can change everything about you. It can change everything about me and you. But it doesn't happen automatically. We, you know, it's like Joey, like, getting, putting on the trappings of Easter, in his powder blue suit, like, that was nice. But that and that wasn't enough to change his heart. That wasn't enough to keep him out of the crick. His mom, like, getting their kids dressed up, that wasn't enough to change her heart, right? Easter, there's a part of, our, of us saying yes. And man, I just believe God wants to give us that encouragement to say, hey, how am I leaning into the resurrection in my life today, right now? I have the opportunity to be reconciled with God. I have the opportunity to get past the cognitive dissonance and no truth. I have the opportunity to make a faith response. That's where it all starts. I have an opportunity to be part of his, his story, his mission. What am I doing with that? You know, it's, it was wild in the story. In, in the Matthew account, Matthew 28, 17, it says that they saw him, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. A lot of us are like, you know, if I, just, if I could see God, that would take care of all my doubts. If I could see Jesus, can I just see God? Now, you know, if, a lot of us, if we saw God, you know, if, anyway, <laughs> we'd blow up if it wasn't like help, if God didn't help us to be able to handle it. But these people saw God, they saw Jesus, and still some doubted. And so there has to be. It's like we have to look at the the doubts in our life. We have to look at the stuff in our life that's keeping us from believing God and experiencing God and say, am I going to believe God in that place? Am I going to believe that he rose from the dead and he's real? Or am I going to let the doubt have the upper hand? So uh, will will we believe? Blaise Pascal, the famous scientist, said this. He said, there's enough light in the world for those who only desire to see And enough obscurity for those who have a contrary disposition. There's enough for us to doubt. There's enough for us to believe. Will we put our trust in Jesus and believe? So don't let it just be a sentimental holiday. Don't let the cognitive dissonance shut down our brains and our hearts. But let's say yes to Jesus in those places or for our whole life. If you have never done that, and today, is there's no better time to, than to say, yes, I believe you rose from the dead. And I'm going to confess you as my Lord. And then I'm going to take the steps to be a disciple. I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to put my faith in you. Easter can reconcile us to God. But that only happens if we treat him as our most important relationship. We can't experience that garden kind of relationship that all of us were made for, and that we long for more than anything else. But that happens not only because of what happened 2,000 years ago, but it also happens because we say, "Hey, you're my Lord. You're the most important thing in my life. I'm going to follow you." I've been the question I've been asking myself recently is, "You know, am I am I giving as many minutes?" to my relationship with God, as I am to what's ever on this phone. And, you know, some of what's on my phone, you know, there's, there's good stuff. There's stuff that helps me read the Bible and pray and develop a biblical worldview, and that's good. But gut check, reality, how much am I giving my time to just other distractions? And if, if I get, like, my weekly summary that said, hey, last week you averaged four hours a week on this phone, I mean, four hours a day for the past week on this phone, like, okay, how, much, how many hours a day was I giving the Lord? Wow. What is, where is my heart, really? And, man, if for us to experience the fullness of life and the relationship God has for us, it's not just, like, giving God the leftovers. But it's giving God the first place, and it's giving God all of our life, all of our time, all of our attention, all of our affection. Saying, "Lord, you are the one." And you know that that doesn't mean that you you know never do do chores or never do your homework or, or doing. But all those things, it's learning to do those as unto the Lord, and learning to walk in relationship with Him, and giving Him the first place in our life and giving Him a lot of just focused time, as well. And so man, Easter can reconcile us to God, but are we giving him the space for us to enter in to that reconciled relationship? And then Easter can bring us into the, the mission. It can bring us into the narrative. But we've got to say yes. We've got to have a heart to be in the narrative. We've got to be in the right place. Those disciples, they got in the narrative because even though they were freaked out and scared, they at least they were with one another. At least they were with the people of God. And in that place, God, Jesus showed up, just like He does with us. And when we prioritize God's Word and the church and Christian relationships, and when we prioritize asking God, who are the people that I who could I talk to today? Who could I share the story with? God, how could I spread this message? When we give Him space for that, then He is ready to include us in the narrative like we've never imagined. So, man, we, as a church, we, this, this is just our passion. Like, we love this. We love being in this story. We love helping people to build that relationship with God and then get in the mission. If you have questions about that, talk to someone at the Welcome, Welcome Center. Um, we have Connect cards there to fill out. Or you can give us information and questions, and we will come alongside you and help you grow your relationship with God as a disciple, and enter fully into that relationship and his mission. All right. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Easter changes everything. I know it changed everything for me. Man, it's changing everything for me. It's changing, changing the world. And I'm so glad that he lets us be part of that. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we look to you this morning as our Father, our God. Jesus, we look to you as our friend, our teacher, our King. Thank you that you paid the price for our sin, you took the death that deserved us and that is so prevalent in the world. And you gave us life. And you're giving the world life. Lord, I pray your, your blessing on each person here today, God. I, I pray that we would all be able to say that what, who you are and what you did changed everything for me. And it is changing everything for me. And it's changing everything for people around me. Lord, would you make that more and more a reality? We thank you that you're the one who does it. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, Happy Easter. Excited to live this out. Excited to have lunch for those of us who are going over to the ministry house of 2000 Claflin. And like Brendan said, feel free to join us um, if you don't have plans. If you're with other friends or family or whatever else you're doing. Have a wonderful day, um, and have a have a great week. Um, I like what a friend of mine said that I was talking to last week. He's like, "Hey, Easter's a big deal, but you know, every week's a big deal." And this is because new creation has come, and it's coming. So let's let's live this out. Enjoy the new life God's brought. Um, uh, again, if you want to uh, stop by the welcome center, and if you have any questions or uh, if you want to. Uh, give us your information, we can help, help you, we would love to do that. So have a great week. Happy Easter.